Thank you, God. Lord, we take that drama, that illustration seriously, and we take it to heart. Personally, every single one of us, God calls us to be wise and forgive us for not seeking wisdom as you've instructed us to. And even if we start now, we say, praise God. No matter what age we are, no matter what our background has been, we can start today to change the future and to change our spiritual diet. And Lord, I pray that for us as a church and for all those who follow this series around the world, in Australia, New Zealand, all over Africa, all over Europe. God, in your grace, give your church wisdom. Let them not be left behind. Let them meet with you as you intend. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. If you turn to the book of Ecclesiastes a moment, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I'm going to read from verse 1, just a few verses there. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1, famous piece of scripture. To everything there is a season, a time uh, and purpose for everything under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to... to refrain from bracing, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. Remember, this is Solomon talking. This is the wisest man who ever lived. And you know what he's saying? Remember, these writings are largely from a man to a man. And Solomon is saying this, a man will find time for just about everything in his life. Time for football, you know, time for golf, time for just about everything except probably his wife. And the crazy thing is, often what we miss are the most important things in life. And we do find times for the things that we know are important. We make time for them. We've been looking at relationships over this last little while. And you know, someone once said this, what do you have to do to knock a house down? Answer, nothing. Absolutely nothing. You can build a house, a strong house too. And the only thing you need to do to see that thing fall apart is neglect it. Because time, the wind, the rain, the seasons will see that thing fall apart if it doesn't have upkeep. And marriages are just the same. A marriage needs attending. Relationships need attention. And as we began to look at the wisdom literature about three, four weeks ago, for me it's a shock. Because you open the writings of the wisest man who ever lived, and what gets you is this. He talks about relationships. He talks about how you relate to other people. Because therein lies the heart of wisdom. See, your relationships will make you or break you, right? When when God wants to make someone, 
to improve their lives, very often he sends them a person. And through a person, your life can be bettered. But guess what? When the devil wants to destroy someone, very often it's a person who comes into their lives. And I see that all the time. You see, relationships are important. We need to understand them. We need to see them from a biblical perspective. But you know what? Wisdom's not very popular. I mean, if, especially you students, if you're at a party or something, people don't walk in and say, hey, anybody got any wisdom? <laughs> More like anybody got any speed, right? Wisdom is not particularly popular. But I guarantee you this. See those of you here who are married? The one advice that every married person would give you who are single is this. Learn about marriage before you get married. Before. What's that called? Wise. Learn about marriage as much as you can learn about marriage and relationships. Learn it before you get married. Right? Very important. And Ed, for those of, who are, uh, those of us who are married, learn about it now. If we haven't learned, it's not too late but you will be all the wiser if you learn before. So we'll begin where Solomon begins. And he basically begins with relationships. Solomon established himself. And that's what we're going to look at today, particularly the marriage relationship. They say that relationships move through four different stages from the time when you meet someone to the time then perhaps you are married to them. The first stage they call the ecstasy stage. And that's where nothing that person does is wrong. You can see no wrong in them. Your granny can see lots of wrong in them, but you can't see any wrong in them. To you, they are perfect. Mr. Perfect, Mrs. Perfect. The ecstasy stage, right? Now, that doesn't last too long. Romantic love is blind. Agape love's not blind, but romantic love is definitely blind. So there's the ecstasy stage, followed, if you marry them, followed very quickly by the reality stage, okay? Because some people can be very deceptive, you know. You know that? You might be dating someone and they could be completely deceiving you. It happens. And it's not until after the marriage that you actually find out that it's a completely different person. It happens. Not all the time. But it does happen. The ecstasy stage is pretty quickly followed if you get married by the reality stage. And those of you maybe a little bit older, do you remember the old LPs? Long playing records? Nobody, huh? Yes. <laughs> Before them, there was a smaller one. What was that called? A 45. Little 45s. And they had a hit single on one side. But there was another side. And you would go out and you would buy a single because you wanted the hit song. You liked that side. And then when you took it home, you would turn that record over. And on the other side was a heap of junk, right? <laughs> on the other side, it wasn't quite so nice. And I, I'm sorry to say, folks, but everybody has their sides right? Everybody has to get up in the morning. And you sort of have to get used. Now, sometimes when you played that B-side, after a while, you got used to it, right? And you could even get to like it. But that's the reality stage. It's when, you know, that woman you married and she was so glamorous and she gets up eight o'clock in the morning with a scruffy old dressing gown and, <laughs> you know, and slippers, you know those slippers with the animal's heads on them, stuffed things, <laughs> and all that sort of, and the hair's all over the place. It's reality. Or when you go into bed and there's cucumbers on the eyes and carrots in the uh, you, Well, you know this, don't It's like ratatouille. Reality stage has come. Well, reality stage is very quickly followed by challenge. 
And this is where we need to get to. Because the divorce rate is ridiculous. It's absolutely unbelievable. We wouldn't have even thought of this years ago, what's happening today. We need to learn how to deal, because marriage is a challenge. I tell you, the day came for me in my marriage when I woke up and I said, my God, what have I done? <laughs> right? What have I done? And what am I going to do? Very important. Now, if you're married and you've never asked yourself that question, just slap yourself on the back. Well done. <laughs> because 90% of those who are married will have asked themselves that question. Correct? Don't look at me like that. <laughs> yes, you have. Most likely. Right? Listen, see the challenge? It's very important what you do about that challenge. This is just reality. It's just the real world. So you wake up one day and you say, my God, what have I done? And what am I going to do? Well, what did you do? You just got married, friend. That's what you did. And what are you going to do? You're going to have to work through the challenges to a resolution of any difficulties you find. You're not going to run away anywhere. You're staying right here. I haven't got the statistics with me, but you know, those who get divorced for the first time and get remarried, the statistical probability of them getting divorced again jumps by about 20%. And you know if they get divorced again, the statistical probability jumps by about another 20%. It's about 75% likely to divorce, something like that. You see, if you run away once, then the next time you're in any relationship, and it doesn't just have to be marriage, You'll have a tendency to run away, and that's, no, that's getting nowhere in life. You need to face the challenges. I need to face the challenges, and lo and behold, when we do this God's way, you find great delight in that. You find what marriage was all about and the purpose of it, that it was God-given, and it is a joy, but only when we obey the rules. Only when we go about this, you know, God's own way. So, Solomon gave us lots of advice in Song of Songs about dating. And he was a young man at that time, and his whole life was really centered around love and relationships. He didn't stay there. He grew older. He got married. <laughs> and then he gave his Proverbs. And in Proverbs, he talks about principles for couples living together. As I say, if you're married, you would be wise to listen to this. But if you're single, you would be even wiser. Principles for people living together. And I'll just run through a few of them quickly this morning. What does Solomon say to married couples? Well, first of all, rule number one for, you know, to live together happily, don't take each other for granted. And I'm afraid this is so easy to do. It is the easiest thing in the world for me to take Jeanette for granted. I can't think of anything easier. It's just natural. I have to fight against it. Listen to these words. This is the word of a woman, the, the, the words of a woman who's just divorced her husband. As for him, he comes home late. He eats his dinner alone and then lies on the sofa. He gets into bed and very often wants sex and then he goes to sleep. As for me, well, I feel invisible. Sometimes I feel like a prostitute. And I lie there, and I dream of having a relationship. That's a divorcee. You see how easy it is to slip in to just taking your partner for granted? Obviously, that woman felt completely invisible, the invisible woman. That he would come home every day, completely ignore her, eat his dinner on his own. No thought. 
You see? Look, when a man comes home from work and he goes in and he has a bath and he throws the wet towels on the floor and he throws his clothes on the floor, he doesn't even empty the bath and goes in, ignores his wife, sits down, you know, watches television. Do you know what that communicates to his wife? Your role is not worth that. Your job. Your job, your task, the things you do, they're of no importance to me whatsoever. And as you walk over those towels, you're actually walking over the relationship due to lack of sensitivity. It is so easy to take people for granted, not just at home, but even in the church here. You know, we have a cleaning team. And when we don't care about the upkeep of the building, when we just toss rubbish, we say the same thing to them. And that's why it's quite difficult to be a church cleaner, you know, because you have to put up with that sort of thing. And so as Christians, we should be much more sensitive. Amen. Amen. Not just here, but at home. Don't take your wife or your husband for granted. Now, you could say to me, why on earth would a man treat his wife like that? Why would a man ignore his wife or come home and just behave like, that's terrible. Why would he do that? I'll tell you why. Because she's able to take it. That's why. Because she's able. She's strong. She's able to take that abuse and even swallow it. She's able to do this and that and the other and probably not complain too much. Oh, she's able, all right. And simply because of that one fact, it is incredibly easy for the man to take advantage of the woman. Very easy indeed. Now, just in case you guys think, and I'm being too hard on you, it's always on about the men. I think the statistic is 24%. The Bible has 24% more to say to men than women. Right? So I'm not imbalanced at all. The preponderance of weight of responsibility is definitely on the man in a whole multitude of areas. So let's pick up from where we left off just a couple of weeks ago. The Bible says that the woman is both the stronger party in the marriage and the weaker. It says both. However, it's not confusing. She's stronger in some ways and weaker in others. And it's pretty obvious what she's weaker in. She's more, more susceptible to deception. It wasn't Paul points this out. He says it wasn't Adam that was deceived. Remember, it was Eve. So she's, more, she's weaker when it comes to falling for you know, deceptions, being taken in. She's weaker in temptations. She's weaker physically. She's the weaker vessel. But she is most definitely stronger in many other ways. I believe they're stronger spiritually, and that's what the helpmeet was. It was. It was a strong woman given to support the man. Very simple, really. Do you know her bodily organs are stronger? A woman's internal organs are much stronger than a man's. Do you know that they outlast men in torture? Around the world where torture has taken place, the woman can always survive longer. You see? So women are definitely stronger, but there's a, a great you know, weakness there in the man if he just abuses that. Remember, Adam couldn't handle Eve's strength. That's why she went and spoke to the snake. Uh, he couldn't lead this strong woman. She was stronger than him. And he couldn't lead her. He couldn't cover her. Couldn't cope with that. Have you any idea how often churches have to deal with the same thing? Strong wives and weak husbands. Have you any idea? I don't even know what the percentage is. But it's huge. A huge amount of men who don't lead their own wives or don't lead their own homes. 
See, that's the man's problem. The woman's problem is that she can be tempted just to step outside the jurisdiction that God has given her because the husband is still the head. So you end up, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying this morning, so I want to make it really clear. Because of the fall, here you've got Adam and Eve before the fall. The man is not an authority over the woman. There is no authority structure. They're completely equal. Authority hasn't come up. But because of the fall, right, loud and clear, it's right there in your Bible, God comes and speaks to Eve. And he institutes the man as the leader, right? Because of the sin of Eve. So now you've got this situation. You've got man in a, in a superior position. And you've got the woman often, not always, but often using that superior inner strength that God has given her. In terms of the love of God for men and women, of course it's equal. In, ter in terms of importance, of course they're equal. In, in terms of their worth or their respect, they're completely equal. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what I'm saying. But their roles are different. And the authority, the man has authority. I'm talking about marriage here. The man has authority over the woman. Now, people will still say, oh, hey, that's unfair. Because what if my husband doesn't do his job? What am I supposed to do? What if he doesn't, you know, you know do, do what is right or lead me properly? What am I supposed to do? Well, God is already, you, you're not actually in a vulnerable position vulnerable position. God will fight for you. That's his promise. Elia, would you come up? Donya, would you come up here a second? Just come up on the platform one minute. Let me show you the strength of the position that the, the woman is in. If you stand there, Donya, let's say these guys are husband and wife, right? Just stand there. Stay there. Now, the Christ, let's say I'm Christ. Christ is the head of the husband. The husband is the head of the wife. Okay? Now, let's say that he's not behaving himself. He's not leading Donya here, right? So what does Donya do? What does a typical woman start to nag him? No, one Peter, win your husband without a word. Shh. God already says to the woman, shh, don't nag. So she talks to who? To me, right? No, not to me, to God, you know what I mean. <laughs> so, Donya, you shout over the top here, um, God help me. God help me. Uh, <laughs> Would you respond to a prayer like that? No. Okay. God help me. God help me. Okay. Now I am obligated as God to talk to Elias, eh? And I'm obligated to intervene. Now watch, what's the problem? Would you just swap places? Would you just face Elias? Now there you go. This is what happens. The woman usurps her husband's authority. And you know God, God's free will, right? God will step back and say, okay, Donya, you, you go right ahead and deal with him. Because you're in my way. That is not the order. And no matter how wrong that man might be, your only recourse is to me. Do not buck the system that God put in place. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Well done. <laughs> right? Simple illustration, but if only we could employ it, you know? <laughs> my, my wife is very good at this, extremely mature. As, as I say, as Pastor Tom shared a few weeks ago, that it, we, we had a tough couple of years in our marriage. But she was wise, you see. She would never nag me, never, never nag me. What would she do? Pray. Pray. And the prayer worked. The prayer worked because the prayer melted my heart, changed my attitudes, catapulted me, you know, into leadership. Prayer works. So don't, you see, a misunderstanding of this makes the woman think, well, I'm just abandoned here under a man who won't lead me. No. 
You do what you're told to do. Pray and call on God's promises to deliver you if you find yourself in that situation. So she's not only the Ezer Konegdo, help meet. Ezer, one of superior strength to him. She's also to meet. And the word meet there is to balance him. To help him achieve his goal. And this is where I could really, I know, it, it hurts me, you know, because I, I, we, we get on very well. And I can't even begin to tell you how much benefit Jeanette puts into my life because she fulfills her role extremely well as a supportive wife, extremely well. But that word uh, balance, it's a bit like tennis, you know? Like say the man sends the ball over. Well, the woman is there to balance that and really just to send it back. And you can bat and ball, you can discuss. She's there to balance him. And I would never dream of making decisions. I don't make decisions without discussing them with my wife first. And if she has any reservations, I just probably won't do it. Occasionally, I have to say, no, I think you're wrong on this, and we're going to do it. But all the time, we will discuss first. That's contrary to common perception, I can tell you. But that's exactly why I wouldn't dream of it, because I know she's got great perception. But she balances me out. And that is, many guys miss this. You miss it in your marriages. You miss it in your life. And that's a tragedy. I'll give you an example. Just about three months ago, if I get stuck, I, 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 I'll go to Jeanette. So I'm doing my work. I'm in my office and I'm, I got stuck about the name of a series that we were going to do, you know. So I'm just stuck and it's not normal. So I went into the front room and she was there. I said, I just can't get a name for this series, you know. And uh, she said, well, wh what's it about? I said, it's about things you don't know. About things people, you know, didn't tell me. I was going to call it, what's it all about? And she goes, no, nah, no. Nah. And then we, you know, you know, came up with a few ideas. And she was going, no, no. And then together we sort of said, nobody ever told me that. Yes, that's it. And you see, I found that together. Another time we were in Dublin, we were seeking a series. God had put something on my heart and we couldn't get it right. And she's cycling. She stops her bike and she rang up and she said, I think I've got it. The series about men, about the men in the Bible. It was, it was going to be called Great Men of God. And she said, it shouldn't be called great men of God. It should be called men of a great God. Boom. I want you to see that because I want you to understand something. She's not my cleaner. She's not my cleaner. She is the one given to me to help me achieve my goal. Right. God created men and women. They're, they're different. The man's got the vision. He's got the job. As soon as he was created, God gave him a job. Eve didn't get a job. Right? So the man was created with the vision, with the task to do, but just that little bit weaker. Behind him, God creates a woman, but it's a different creation in that sense because she's created to be in relationship with him, to help him achieve that goal, to achieve that vision. And I, I, I just think that many marriages are impoverished for understanding that and then for letting it actually happen. She's the connecto as well. She's your balance. So, you, first of all, you need to get that vision. We covered that at Christmas. And then together, by respecting your wife, follow through and let God fulfill it for you. Solomon gives some very clear guidelines. He says, don't take each other for granted. That's the easiest thing in the world to do. Instead, get an action time, an action plan together. Every husband, I'm not talking to the wives, I'm talking to the husbands. You need to set time alone with your wife. Right? You need to set time alone to be together with your wife. You need to go for a walk together. That's a great thing to do. Turn the phones off. Go out. Go for a walk and just talk together. Very beneficial. 
And I would just caution the women, men need space. There's this thing called space, drives wives mad, right? I think I said to Jeanette once too often in our early years, you know, that I needed space because one day she said, if you say you need space one more time, I'm going to launch you into space. <laughs> I, didn't think, I didn't think that was very nice. <laughs> Men need space. Don't, <laughs> don't confuse space with rejection. Space is not rejection. A man actually has, I definitely have that need, but my father was very happily married before me. And he also took lots of space, go and walk on his own. And we've developed a happy medium in there because she understands I'm not rejecting anything. I'm not rejecting you, that's for sure. But I need time and space also alone to think and pray. But a woman can be oversensitive and, and judge that. Tip number one then, don't take each other for granted. Tip number two, equally as important, watch your speech. It's easy to get casual with one another. Usual, you know, just to let your language slip and to start to speak disrespectfully to your husband, never acceptable, especially in public. You know, Paul mentions that. He says, if the wives have anything to say to their husbands, what, is, what does he say? Go home. Go home, wives, and talk to your husband at home. But don't disrespect him in the church. Okay? It's a good piece of advice. If you want to wind your husband up, be disrespectful. Watch your speech. Watch your speech. Very important. Remember, women and men are just constantly finding differences in the two. The average man speaks 10,000 words a day. What do you think the average woman speaks? <laughs> it's up 25,000. The average man speaks 10,000 words a day. The average woman, 25,000. That explains a lot to me, man. Now, words are important. Speech is vitally important in any relationship, in any marriage. You've got to follow it through. They, mind you, what they're speaking about is very different. But the man considers his speech to be information. He's telling you stuff. Whereas the woman, what she's talking about is her emotions. Speech is emotional. It's an emotional outlet. For the man, that's not the case. His speech is just about information. So, for example, if I've been out all day and I come home and Jeanette says, oh, how was your day? Where did you go? I went to work. <laughs> That's what you asked. I said, and she said, oh. yeah, I said, what? She said, well, what happened in work? <laughs> work. I mean, work's working, isn't it? What more do you want me to say? Work, right? Well, what happened? Oh, goodness me. The man often gets home. He wants to leave his work behind. You know that? He doesn't want to talk about work. But... If she comes home and she's been out all day and I'll say, what happened? And she's just waiting for that, right? <laughs> you need to get a cup of coffee, put your feet up, and then say, how was your day? Whoosh. Because it's not about information. It's not about information. For the man, it's just clinical. It's sharing information for the woman. She wants to share. But it leads to an awful lot of gripes and, and, and coldness in marriages. There's no need for it. Men, you fear intimacy. So often, a man will fear intimate conversation. And his way of dealing with that is just not to go there. Don't want to talk about you know, intimate things or personal things. And men will shy away from that so fast. It's immaturity. It's boyhood, really not manhood at all. And God wouldn't want that. God would bring you out of that completely into manhood where you're able to sit down and talk 
sensibly about emotional things with your wife, about how you feel, not just information. Remember, conversation's very, very, very important to the woman, particularly. Sad thing is, people leave this to the last moment. I don't know if you all remember 9-11, when those planes flew in to the Twin Towers. I think out of the 3,000 that died, it was something like 300 people managed to get messages to their loved ones by email, by text message, by notes, by word of mouth. What do you think they said? So you think you're just about to die. And the most common thing that was said was, I love you. When did you last tell your wife that? It's very important, you see? Does it take a plane flying in to kill us before we wake up and start to discuss in a normal natural way. This was what the devil manipulated in Eden. What's changed? This is what he manipulated. He knew the woman, she was susceptible to speech. Do you know the best two songwriters and singers to women, that the, the, the records that women buy the most? Both of the best-selling singer-songwriters to women are gay men. Gay men. You see, they understand just that little bit, maybe, about what the woman was looking for, about the speech, about what she wants to hear. And that's a tragedy in our day, isn't it? Husbands, you need to be fulfilling that role. We need to be talking to our wives. Another strange thing, and I'm dealing with one at the moment, something that shocks me, most divorces are a surprise. Imagine that. Most divorces, when they come about, the party that's getting divorced says, What? (laughs) You? And me, getting divorced, I never would have believed it. And it's a shock. Well, tell me, how can that ever be right? How can that be true? How can you not know that there's something wrong? Must be a lack of communication, eh? Mustn't be talking. Because you would have known that there was something wrong. One of the most dangerous things can happen in the human body is that one of your limbs become numb. Because if your arm is numb, what's going to happen? <laughs> You could lose your arm, right? Because you don't know what's wrong. Numbness is a very bad sign. And you see, if the woman is not communicating, if she stopped talking to you, if she's given up, then there's definitely a problem here and it should never get to that point. Your wife should be talking to you. But of course, more often than not, she's packing her bags and he's saying, we need to talk. (laughs) No, you should have been saying that a long time ago. So guys, put in place intentional times where you talk to one another. Put, look for things to praise in one another. Look for the good. It's easy to see the bad. So easy. But intentionally look for the good. Right? So men, I mean, look for 10 good things in your wife. Women, look for 10 good things in your husband. Okay, five. Okay. Four. Four. Okay, four. Praise the Lord. It's not that bad. You need to intentionally look for those things because the bad things will be coming up at you and, you, you know, you need to do it. You need to pursue it. I thank God over the years, every now and again, God gives you a nudge and reminds you who you're married to and has taught me to appreciate my wife on several distinct occasions. I remember once I was playing snooker with... 
a very close friend of mine, he just died there a couple of years ago, and we were just playing snooker, and this guy could only ever tell the complete and utter truth, even when it was terribly clumsy, and when it, it hurt people, you know, Morgan would just say it right out, you think, oh, Morgan, you know, you don't need to say that here, you know, but that's what he was like, and uh, he, he was just one day walking around the snooker table, and he said, you know what, Mike, you know, Jeanette, of all the people I've ever met in my life, I think she's the nicest person I've ever met. And I remember he just made it as a casual statement, but because of who said it, it really stuck with me. And I left that place that day thinking, I ought to be appreciative. Thank you, God. Thanks, Lord. This is so easy to overlook that. Another time, you know, you can buy properties wholesale. You can buy a tin of baked beans. You can buy 10,000 tins of baked beans if you want. You can also buy houses wholesale. And we were with a wholesale property developer. And the way they work it is they have portfolios. There's A, B, C, D, different types of portfolio you can buy. And they go from good portfolios to a heap of rubble, you know. And I wasn't interested in the rubble because I came not a builder. We were interested in a good portfolio. And we just sat around and talked for a while. And then the meeting came, the formal part. We sat down at the side of the table and this multi, multi, multi-millionaire came in, reached for the best portfolio and put it on the table. And I preempted his discussion. I said, excuse me, I just wanna, don't want to waste time. So I'm only interested in the very best. He said, listen, you don't have to tell me what you've come here for. You're interested in the very best portfolio you can get. You're only interested in excellence. I thought, well, okay. He said, I met your wife. I saw your wife, and when I saw her, I knew that you would not be interested in any of that. And again, it just makes you think, cuts you down to size a little bit, right? I thought, man, other people can see value. Other people can see value in your partner, but so often, because of taking them for granted or whatever, we don't see it anymore, and that's a tragedy. Look for good things about your partner. Solomon warns us in a few weeks' time, we're going to study the power of words and just how damaging they can be or how constructive they can be. And if you're someone who corrects a lot, why not make it a practice to correct yourself? Start doing that and maybe that will slow you up a bit. Solomon's tip number three, don't let things fester. Don't, let, you know, don't hit the sack until you resolve the flack, as they say, right? Put things right quickly. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And we've developed a system in the first couple of years. If I was angry, I would be angry. <laughs> you know? But now, now, listen, please, it's important, you know. You don't have to stay like that. See if in your marriage you have fits of anger. or I, It doesn't have to be like that. And I suddenly realized, you know, I don't need to do this. Now, if something is angering me, I will cool it down and deal with it in the right time and in the right place. Doesn't mean you don't get angry about stuff. It just means you begin to control it and hold on to it and deal with it properly, deal with it biblically. You know, look at me a moment. Your wife is not your mother. Your husband's not your father. Your wife is not your kids. Your husband is not your kids. These are completely different relationships. There is no relationship that can be more contentious and cause you more grief and resentment than your marriage. You know why? Because you didn't choose your parents. Right? There's a little biological thing in there, right? You didn't choose them. You didn't particularly select your children. You had your children. But guess what, guys? 
you chose that wife. You chose that husband. And because of that, there's a massive potential for resentment within a marriage. There's a huge potential for you to turn around one day and say, hey, this person is taking everything from me. I've given my life to you. Right? It's not your parents and it's not your kids. It's a different thing. And because of that, there's a massive possibility, potential for resentment in a marriage. And that needs to be prepared for. The three big things that arguments or dissension happens within a marriage over are money, number one. Interpretation of a situation. That's what couples argue over. She said this. No, she didn't. She said that. Right? Interpretation of a situation. And lastly, wanting people to change. Looking for changing people in a way that we're not. And very, all the time, couples come to us and say about money. How do we handle money? Well, you know what? There is no right way and wrong way to handle finances in a marriage. You work out your own budget. You work out your own system. And let do what suits you. Nearly all homes are different. In some homes, the man will control the finances and the wife will have an agreed allowance or something. Fine, if that works, go ahead. In others, it's 50-50 with the money that comes in and 50-50 with the bills. Fine. We don't do that. I pay all the bills in our house, but we have equal access to any money we want. Jeanette can spend whatever she wants out of the account, within reason, of course. <laughs> within, within reason. Um, because that suits me. I could not. My, my parents didn't do that. My parents had the 50-50 situation. I'd hate that. I don't like his and hers. I like ours and everything. Right? That's just the way I prefer that. But it didn't mean they weren't happy. My parents were very happy. So that worked for them, obviously. You just need to find whatever's going to work for you. And don't argue about the interpretation of situations. This is where men can be so dominating in this, you know. Because women often see things differently, you see. And it's not necessarily a clash of what happened. But couples do argue over interpretations, you see. And we must not do that. Let me explain to you what I mean. A man, even, men don't like to admit they're wrong. And all the women said? <laughs> that was a weak amen. <laughs> men don't like to admit they're wrong. I'm not just talking about, gen I'm talking about a trait. It was in Adam. Don't overlook it. Men, don't overlook it. Adam blamed Eve. Lord, it wasn't me. It was that woman you gave me. That's what he said, right? It's a trait in manhood. Men don't like to admit when they're wrong. But listen, guys, because of their logical brain, a man can seem right even when he's wrong. He can argue a woman so far down that line and be dominating that she starts to think she's wrong. Right? Oh, he can. Believe me. A man can argue so well and so long-winded <laughs> that the woman starts... But it's not funny, you see. It's a terrible thing. Because many men do that. They dominate their wives. And she's trying to be the helpmate. She sees something wrong. Often the woman has a higher moral fiber, higher moral character. Often. And she'll see something wrong. And she's trying to fulfill that role, easier connecto, trying to be the wife, trying to be the helping, and will start to say something. But the man can often articulate hard and heavy and can dominate the conversation and seem as if he's right. Listen, when that happens in a marriage or that becomes a pattern in a marriage, do you know that wife? She's one confused cookie. She doesn't know what, what, what's right, what's wrong. She's unhappy. She's confused. She's full of self-doubt. Well, I did think, but he, he, he made a good point there, didn't he? 
he made a good point about this and a good point. But never mind the good points. What's your gut feeling, right? And that's a sad thing to do in a marriage, you see. We shouldn't dominate. And it comes from fear in the husband. So watch those words. Be careful of them. Resolve conflict as quickly as you can. Practice saying sorry. Turn to the person beside you and say you're sorry. Go on. <laughs> Listen. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and so you should be. I'm only looking. No. Do you know what's good to do? Practice it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just practice. Some people struggle just to say I'm sorry. Practice saying I'm sorry. Get used to it because you're going to be making a few mistakes. Right? Practice it. Criticize less, praise more. Do look for intentional praise. Look for things in your partner. Be willing to lose a few arguments. You don't have to be a you know, point scoring. What a waste of time that is. And lastly, Solomon warns us. I love the serenity prayer. I guess most people here would know the serenity prayer. It goes like this. I hope I get it right. Lord, help me to accept the things I cannot change to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. I think every marriage, every home could have that over your door. Don't try and change each other. When I do marriage counseling with a couple that are going to get married, that's the first thing I say, <laughs> you know, you are marrying this person just the way they are. So don't have any ideas that you're going to change them. They may change, praise the Lord. But that, you're not marrying a person that's changed. You're marrying this person right now exactly the way they are. So put any thoughts that have changed. Listen to this. Men marry women thinking they'll never change. Women marry men thinking they'll change them. Just the different approaches. Men marry women thinking they'll never change. Women marry men thinking they'll change them. But it's a terrible thing to go into a relationship and have the pressure on you to change. You know, Jeanette is absolute. If I ever try to change her in any way, man, she's like a bucking horse, you know. No! I am the way I am. And I like that because it's character. I am who I am. I am the way I am. And you need to accept your partner just the way they are and not look for changes, not demand that. Men particularly can often look for perfection, you know, and that's unfair, very unfair. Listen to this. This was an African family. They asked, asked me to come and see them one day. They were having marital difficulties and said, no, no problem. I go in there. Hey, hey, this guy's watching um, National Geographic, you know. I come in and sit down, and he says, just wait till the end of this. I thought, don't tell me to wait till the end of any program, pal. What's the problem? You know, get the television off. Now, what's the problem? And he starts to say, well, you know, she won't keep the house clean. I said, okay. Looks pretty clean to me. It was impeccable. It was spotless. I said, what's the, what's the problem? He said, well, the house needs to be hoovered three times a day. I mean, that's okay, isn't it? And the kids make a mess. They had two kids. Kids make a mess. So I wanted to hoover up in the morning. And then we need to hoover up again later. And she needs to hoover up at night. I mean, what's the, do you have a problem with that? <laughs> so I said, well, no, no, I have no problem with that at all. You hoover the house three. I've got, I've got one problem. 
Who's going to do the hoovering? Because it isn't going to be her. If you want to hoover the house three times a day, I'm sure she won't mind. But you cannot put that demand upon your wife, friend. That is totally overbearing. That's ridiculous. Now, hoover once a day, maybe, or whatever. But you're looking for perfection. And men can be terrible like that. Whilst you watch National Geographic, you're character. It's, it's crazy. There's only one fool in that house. The wife. The wife. I said, you, 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 are you listening to this? It's not rebellion. This is ridiculous. This is crazy. This is absurd. I told him to buck up, get off the seat, and help his wife. Amen. Right? Amen. It's not about being abused. Stand your own ground. Bring the church in if you need to. But people can look for perfection and demand that off you. You don't have to tolerate that. You don't. It's not right. I know we aim for perfection, but in a marriage, that's never going to last. If your partner won't change, if things are not good about something they are or something they do, if they won't change, why don't you? Why don't you change? Why don't you say, God, you know what? This problem or that problem is tearing us apart. So do you know what I'll do? I will change my ways. And I will be the peacemaker in this home. Amen? Amen. Let's have the worship team back. Just stand. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray your strength and your grace, your wisdom and your mercy to flood every single home here, God. For those who are single, I lift them to you, God. Would you give them wisdom for the times ahead? Wisdom to walk in, in, in good and loving and biblical relationships. Father, grace us this morning. I pray for the couples that the same thing, you would cause them to see good in one another, to choose to see good, and to live out of that, Lord. If in any way we need to make immediate changes, then please help us to do so.